Well, good morning. Uh, great weekend to sort of be alive and uh, be doing things. I love this video. I love the way it sort of chronicles the, the progression that Mike went through of taking small steps and finding himself serving in more significant ways. I love the line that says, I don't want to be part of a congregation that is just looking in. Uh, now, we need to look in, and the last line in Galatians calls on us to help others, especially those in the family of God. We need to care for each other. We're going to look at that. But we are called, we are compelled to look out, to love and serve others, to care for those that are far from God. We are to reach. We're to reach out with the gospel, the good news of an empty tomb and eternal life and God's love for us. And we're to reach out with practical ways to love and care and serve others to be the hands and feet of God. So, uh, all good, and uh, appreciate that video, and hope that you are on that path as well. So uh, today, we are going to finish our study of Galatians. Uh, this is a little bit early. Now, next week, it always been planned that um, Armando and Jen Robles and their family will be with us, and the, the strategic work as part of REACH that you are helping make happen uh, a church pl- being started in Istanbul among Muslim refugees. Uh, you'll hear some of that good stuff. Uh, but in addition uh, to that, I'm, I'm moving things forward because the last six weeks, I have been in all these conversations about the topic of doubt. And everybody's seeming to have questions and doubt. And what do I do with my doubt? And how do I process my confusion on that area? And doubt's a big topic in scripture. We see, uh, we see in the New Testament there are some significant people who struggle with doubt. Uh, I mean, uh, John the Baptist in prison sort of suddenly goes, okay, uh, are you really who we were waiting for? And then, of course, Thomas doubts. Doubt's part of my story. So I, I want to talk about doubt, and so that's going to come up in a couple weeks. Today, We are finishing Galatians, so it's the last verse of chapter 5 and then all of chapter 6. So the the chapter and verse divisions are not, you know, inspired by God. We, 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 nobody, they were, they, they, for 1,500 years, there were no chapter and verse divisions. And then this guy uh, sort of set them out there for everybody to follow and made it a lot easier. And, and the, the story is that he was doing a lot of this as an itinerant preacher riding on horseback. And there's times when we're pretty certain that uh, the horse tripped and he moved, he marked it in the wrong spot. So the last verse in chapter 5 seems to go a little bit better with chapter 6. And, and what we've been getting so far here is the, the last part of 5 has been talking about the ongoing struggle we face between a broken heart, a sinful nature, desires that are not righteous, and life in the Spirit, where we yield to the Holy Spirit, we surrender our life, and we want to be part of things that are good. And it's an ongoing tension. And I said it's an ongoing tension. So um, we're now going to see some practical applications of the gospel. If the gospel is true, if you have been changed by the gospel, if you have accepted the free gift of, uh, and finished work of Christ, if that's true, then there are things that should be true about your life. And, and he calls on us 
to care for other people. And, and initially we see the care is for those that are caught in sin. And then we see that we need to care for the suffering. And then we get some comments about how to interact with our peers and how to relate to pastors and how to, how to interact with our neighbors. And, and it can read a little bit like Proverbs because he's sort of jumping around from topics, sort of cramming all this stuff in at the end. Uh, but if you step back from chapter 6, you get this idea that um, we're going to continue to face problems. And sin is going to be an ongoing challenge. And so even in the church, sin is going to be a challenge. And so we've got to care for each other. We've got to stand alongside each other. We've got to help each other navigate the problems and the sin and all those things that are going to be part of the story that we're living. So... We're in uh, Galatians 6. I'm going to read the last verse in, in um, chapter 5, 26. So, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, the, the whole thrust here is going to be helping others. And so, he, he just starts by saying, we've got to have the right posture here if we're going to help each other. And the right posture is one of humility. You cannot think you're God's gift to other people and to earth and to have that attitude and to, and to sort of, you know, amp up and say, I'm going to help you because I've got this down and you don't. So let us not become conceited, provoking envy, uh, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So... This is a comment directed at everyone who has the Spirit of God. Everyone who has come to faith in Christ, right? Because when we come to faith in Christ, we give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. So if you, this is not just for those that went to seminary. This is not for those on staff at a church. If you are a Christ follower, if you have the Spirit, then if someone is caught in sin, you need to restore them gently. The word caught here can go in a couple directions. We can talk about caught in the sense that they're uncovered or exposed as being in sin. But I, I suspect, and the Greek sort of can go both ways here as well, I suspect that it refers more to those who get trapped by sin. Because sin is ultimately, evil is ultimately defective good. Sin has a great PR department. It never advertises the full price. It promises things it can't deliver. People get sucked in, and then they get sucked down, and they get trapped in whatever patterns are there. And so he says, look, if you know Christ, then you should be involved in helping those that get trapped this way. And you need to restore them, and the word refers to sort of setting a dislocated bone. A bone. You need to restore them and do it gently. Uh, really, if somebody's, somebody's life is unraveling here, you need to come alongside and help them. If, if the Spirit of God is in you, you need to help. Right? If you're a Christ follower, then you need to help. And you need to, you need to help others the way you would want to be helped if it was you. Gently restoring them. So one of the more challenging things that we do as a church, one of the more challenging things that you can do as the church or just as a friend is to 
come alongside somebody that's heading down the wrong path and to try and redirect them. Uh, we do this. It's done. Uh, that we're not giving instructions here specifically about how to do it. There's some more in Matthew 18 and other places that we could look. But every situation is different. And, and what we do is generally done very quietly. We don't talk about it a lot. Hopefully, it would never be you. But uh, if you are heading down the wrong path, Right? If you, are, you are found yourself suddenly trapped in sin, pride, greed, lust, uh, addictions, somehow pulled down in some way. Ideally, the first line of defense for you would be your small group. The people that know you best, that would come alongside and say, okay, looks like you're struggling, let's, let's try and help. But uh, occasionally it, it becomes church staff, and, and we try gently to say, okay, you're, you're, this is not unfolding the right way. And because we love you, we're not trying to embarrass you. We're not trying to, we're not trying to punish you. We're trying to restore you. We're trying to get you right on the right path again. We want to say we think you're headed down the wrong path. There are, two, there are two mistakes that get made here. The first error is uh, to, to have some self-important, self-righteous, self-appointed sheriff come in, I'm the morality police, and I'm telling you that what you're doing is wrong. Okay, nobody, nobody wants that. The equal problem is the other, which is nobody says anything. And it just, you head down the wrong path. So I, I, I've said this before, let me say it again. You pay money. I pay money for somebody to correct me in areas that aren't really that important. We, we pay money for somebody to critique our golf swing or to improve our backhand or uh, for art lessons or music lessons. And you're signing up essentially for somebody to say, no, you're doing it wrong, do it this way. This is better than this. What you're doing isn't going to work. Uh, it, you know, th- it needs to be this way. We pay money for people. <laughs> To come alongside and to correct us in things that ultimately do not matter nearly as much as our life, our character, our, our moral direction. And so uh, it's, it's hard, it's delicate, it's in, in today's hyper-individualistic culture, it can be particularly hard to get in front of people and to say, time out, as, as lovingly as I can say this to you, I think you're doing this wrong. But that's one of the things uh, that, that, that the church tries to do for members. Like one of the, one of the perks, it, nobody, sign, nobody wants to sign up for it. But everybody needs it and wants to sign up for it. So I just came back from a funeral a couple weeks ago. Went to see uh, Bob Buford. He wrote Halftime. And I, I spent over the last 10 years, I got together with Buford a dozen, 15 times. And would interact with him. And, and, and he did this for a lot of people. If you sort of said, okay, I want, I, I, I'd like to meet. Because he, you know, he wasn't sort of putting himself out there if you weren't up for it. But if, if you want to meet, then he'd say, okay, well then let's talk about your life. And he would ask very, dr- drill down, very perceptive questions. And listen very carefully and say, this, this, the, what are you doing here? 
And when he thought you were headed down the wrong path, he'd tell you. And if you really thought you were headed down the wrong path, and it happened to me once, then he got in your face and like, whoa, uh, it's been a while since somebody's talked to me like that before, but okay. And, and I actually want that, need that, right? So I, and getting together in a couple of weeks, uh, most men, if you ask them who their best friend is, they'll tell you somebody they haven't talked to in two years or seen in five. Uh, so there's a couple guys that I talk with three to five times a week, and some of that's just, you know, how are the Cubs doing and, and mindless stuff, but some of it is more perceptive. Let's, let's walk through life together, and at least once a year we get together for a drill down on some very intentional questions, and I've put those questions out there before, and, and we, we ask each other the hardest questions to try and help navigate life. So we can jump the tracks. We need to help each other, not jump the tracks. And it's one of the things that the church can do and should do. And it's one of the ways that small groups can help people when life is not working because of sin, because of suffering, to come alongside to help people continue to move down the path. So if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Uh, but watch yourselves, verse 2, or you also may be tempted. So before you go trying to help someone else, take the log out of your own eye before you try and take a splinter out of their eye. We need an attitude of humility. It's very hard to see ourselves clearly. Some of the most recent psychology studies are saying, yeah, people are essentially clueless about their own behavior, right? We are so self-unaware. And we edit so much of what's going on. We're not, we're not aware of who we really are. So watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. You'll ramp up like the Judaizers. The, they were the morality police. They were the self-imported righteous ones. So we, we, need, the, we need the attitude we see in AA meetings. Uh, hi, my name's Mike. I'm an alcoholic. What we need is, hi, my name's Mike. I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like you are. I'm not better than you. I'm broken just like you are, saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And and I want to help you if I can. Bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So uh, help in practical ways. Come alongside them. Stand in their shoes. Go shoulder to shoulder. Whatever metaphor you want to use. Figure out what's going on and then help lift the burden. Now, I think it's important to note that, that he doesn't say that, that we, we take on a burden so great we can't lift it, right? That we go under, we're sunk by their problems, but it does suggest that this is going to be hard. There's a great quote by Jonathan Edwards. If you get my Friday email, um, I sent this out already. If you don't get my Friday email, the books I'm recommending, that kind of stuff, and you want it, you can, you can send me an email and I will sign you up. But I, I sent this out already, so many of you have heard it. This is Jonathan Edwards reflecting on this verse, and he says, In many cases, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others what we cannot do without suffering ourselves. We should be willing to suffer with our neighbors and to take part of their burden on ourselves. Otherwise, how is it that we 
that the rule of bearing one another's burdens is fulfilled. If we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens, except when we can do it casually, without burden to ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? So there is a line there. We can't take everybody's burdens on, obviously. But the idea that we are insulated from pain or hardship is also wrong thinking. bear their burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves. This is a little bit of a complicated verse. Uh, As I've said before, I, I think if Paul were turning in the letters that he wrote to a college English professor, there he'd need to give him a red pen because there, there would be simpler ways to say some of this. Uh, this actually goes back and forward. So the, the NIV leaves out the word for. It's really tying it back to verse 2. And what, what, what he's saying, and you need some of the, what comes later on, but what he's saying is you need to have the attitude of humility. You need to recognize that you are broken. You need to recognize that you can only boast in the cross, in what Christ has done. That needs to be your approach. I am saved by grace. I am coming alongside as a broken person trying to help another broken person. So don't think you're something that you're not. Um, Verse 6, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share also all good things with their instructor. So we get some counsel here about uh, not being individualistic. We're in this together. And the, the, the expectation that we're going to grow in faith, that we're, gonna, we're going to learn, we're going we're to become disciples, we're going to head down that path. Uh, and then we get um, to the passage, the, the verses that I really want to focus on, verses 7 to 10. So we're not going to look at 11 following, which is sort of the housekeeping stuff that comes at the end of uh, this letter. Now, I will say this. Sometimes the housekeeping stuff at the end can be really, really rich. And and most of us just fly over it, right? It's so-and-so greets you, and -and so-and-so says hi, and -and so-and-so left me, and, you know. But uh, I was at a I was at a conference a little while ago, and um, the the speaker was speaking out of uh, Romans 16, I think it's 13, and he said, look, Romans is like the most preached on book in, in the church today. And uh, it's the most preached on book because it's Paul's introduction to the faith, right? So Paul wrote a lot of letters that make up the New Testament, Every other letter that he wrote, so letters to the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, the letters he wrote to Titus and to Timothy, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all these letters he wrote to people that he had already visited. He'd already spent time with them. He'd planted churches there. He'd given them the basics. He'd never been to Rome before he writes the letter to the Romans. And so it is sort of the first things he's trying to communicate to people. The challenge is it's nothing like the introduction to most topics. You learn your ABCs before you learn to read. You learn 2 plus 2 equals 4 before you try and do calculus. You learn simple things before you do profound things. But, but the introduction to Christianity is more foundational 
than it is simple. And so you get these big, radical, disruptive ideas. There's a God who created you. You are rebelling. You are in trouble. You're going to live forever. You need to do this. Here's, here's the solution. And you're like, whoa, I didn't know any of this. This is, this is not intuitive to me. And so it's very disruptive. Romans is a big disruptive book. And so it's not uncommon for a church to spend three, four years, a pastor to spend five years preaching through Romans. It's the most preached on book. So this guy said, I want us to look at the least preached on verse in the most preached on book. And, and he said, to just show you how much is here, and it's, a, it's in Romans 16, and it's a, it says, I, Tertius, um, greet you, who wrote this letter, greet you with my own hand. And Tertius is uh, Latin for third. So what we have here is a, is a slave who is Paul's scribe weighing in. And here's the deal. He's a slave. So he's such a slave, has so little value, right, that he isn't even given a name. He's just third. He's obviously born to a slave. And so this slave woman had children. Okay, that's your first child. That's your second child. That's your third child. That's, that's what you're going to call them, right? First, second, third. <laughs> and in a culture that honors first, he's a slave and he's third, right? I mean, this is a guy that has no standing. And yet, he's part of the church in Rome, right? He's been welcomed in as a brother in Christ. And he is, he is working with Paul, traveling with Paul. And, and he's, he is free to comment to the other people. It's, it, it talks about the radical nature of the gospel to change how we view people. How we view society, how we view everything. So there is occasionally great stuff in this housekeeping section uh, of, the, of the letters. Not so much in Galatians. And so I want to focus on the money verses here, which start uh, in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So, this is a, this is a sort of in-your-face warning. Uh, the system cannot be gamed. God cannot be fooled. <laughs> he knows everything. You're going to get what you deserve. Right? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, that's the sinful nature, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Because that's where sin leads. It ultimately pulls us down. It takes more and more. It gives less and less. It's broken. It's not, it, it leads to trouble. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So, here's the deal. God knows everything. And we're accountable. The bad news is we're going to get a fair trial from an all-knowing judge. <laughs> the problem isn't that we're going to get an unfair trial. The problem is that we're going to get a fair trial. We don't want justice, right? I, we don't want justice. Now, it's a little complicated because of the gospel, but let me just 
famous story uh, told by R.C. Sproul years ago when he was just starting out as a professor. Uh, first day of class, he hands out the syllabus and says, okay, every, every two weeks you've got to turn in a paper on Monday morning. Do Monday morning, 9 o'clock. Don't turn it in late. No exceptions. Turn it in Monday morning. Two weeks go by. 90% of the students turn in a paper. There's a few that don't, and they go, oh, Dr. Sproul, we're freshmen. We didn't know how to balance our time. You know, it's our, please, please, please don't give us an F. Please give us an extension. So he says, okay, you've got until tomorrow at 9. So two weeks go by. Another paper's due. 80% of the class turns in a paper. And he says, okay, wait, it's supposed to be turning at 9. And they're like, it was, oh, it was homecoming weekend. Our parents were here and service projects. And, ah, please, please, please give us an extension. And he goes, okay, you get an extension. Two more weeks go by. 50% of the class turns in a paper. And, and he's, he grabs his notebook and he says, okay, who turned in a paper? Johnson, you turn in a paper. And he says, no, but I'll get it to you in a couple days. And he says, no, you get an F. And he goes, no, you can't give me an F. And he goes, no, I, I said you were due, you can get an F. He goes, you can't, you can't do that. You can't give me an F. You've got to give me an extension. He says, no, I was very clear that it had to be in by 9 o'clock or you'd get an F. And he goes, that's not fair. And so Sproul says, oh, oh, you want justice. Is that what I hear? He goes, yes, I want justice. He goes, okay, you get an F on the, the paper you didn't get turned in two weeks ago also. Uh, anybody else want justice? Nobody wants justice, right? I don't want justice. I want mercy. I want grace, right? I don't want to be accountable for everything. Now, the good news, and this is the gospel, right? The good news is that when we come to faith in Christ, Christ pays our debt. So we get justice, but it's justice for the life that Christ lived, not the life that we lived. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess, if we come into a relationship with Christ, then God is just and we won't be punished. And you go, well, wait a minute, how is that just? How is it just if I'm guilty that I'm not going to be punished for what I've done? Because if I am in Christ, then Christ pays that debt, and it would be unjust of God to expect that debt to be paid twice. If we're in a relationship with Christ, then we want ultimate justice. We want the eternal life that comes through Christ. So, it's a little complicated, but please understand. Eternity, in one sense, hangs in the balance on our relationship with Christ. But that's not all of it. We will still offer an account of our life. Half of the parables talk about the radical nature of grace and God's love, and it's shocking that way. And half of the parables talk about being a person who invests the talents that they've been given in a way that honors the person who ultimately owns them. And so, he says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. So you're going to get back. We're going to get back what we put in, right? It's a, it's a spiritual law. Now, there tends to be a lag between sowing and reaping. And so you can think it's not ultimately going to work out that way. And we see exceptions all along the way. It appears that we see exceptions all along the way. But Paul says, no. Look, in the end, this life perhaps, or the next one, but ultimately in the end, you will get back 
what you put in. You are going to, if, if a farmer plants corn, a farmer gets corn back. 100% of the time. You don't plant corn and get carrots. And if you plant two acres of corn, then you reap a harvest on two acres of corn. If you plant 200 acres of corn, then you reap a harvest on 200 acres of corn. Right? You get more than you put in. I mean, no, no farmer would, would, would plant uh, seed hoping to get back the same amount of seed at the end. There's a multiplication effect that goes on here. But ultimately, we get back what we put in. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. So I think there's two people that need to particularly hear this message. On the one hand, there are those that think they're getting by or we look on and think they're getting by. They, they think, you know, I, 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 I'm going to get what I'm going to take what I want. There's no repercussions for living whatever kind of, of selfish life I'm going to live. So need to hear. No, in fact, there will be repercussions. The other group of people that need to hear this are those that are trying hard to help others and to serve and are growing tired of it. So he says, do not grow weary of doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So I, I shared this a while back, but there are two times when this Galatians 6 passage has been quoted to me that, that stand out as being profound. One is second year of ministry. I was very frustrated. I was, I was growing tired of investing in people who were who were not doing anything with it. I was tired of students that were just sort of being lazy and wigging out. And I was just like, you know what? I'm sort of sick of this whole thing. Uh, I'm going to go back and, you know, go to law school. I'm going to do something else. I'm tired of this. And the, the pastor, the senior pastor of the church I was on staff with said, um, yeah, it's hard. So sometimes all we can do is say, do not grow weary of doing good. <laughs> do not grow weary of doing good. You're growing weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good. The other time, a few years after that, uh, I was involved with a Habitat for Humanity start. Um, This was in Washington. So Habitat for Humanity is this, you know, at this point, global work to provide simple, decent homes for God's people, right? And so we're doing something very similar to this right now. Same model in North Chicago as part of REACH. As a matter of fact, on Saturday, our, our seventh home is being opened with a dedication and a prayer time, and we're handing over the key. And, but, but we go in and we buy a home, or you build a home from scratch, but you buy a home, and in North Chicago, we've been buying homes for about $25,000, and we're putting another twenty-five dollars or $30,000 uh, into it in materials, and we're using mostly volunteer labor. And so you come out with a house that is worth a lot more than, than $60,000, but we sell it for about $70,000. It's probably worth $150,000. We sell it for $70,000, and we finance it with a no-interest loan. And, and we're looking for people in these houses who want to be part of, of a community. Who, so we try to put two houses together on a block to say, okay, you got to love and serve your neighbors. Right? This, is, this is part of Pushing back the darkness is part of creating community. And so we sell these houses, so they're, they're not given away. We sell the houses, and then the money 
from the house goes forward to pay for the next house, and this sort of has this exponential effect. So we're opening the seventh house this weekend. We've got houses eight and nine. We're getting ready to try and close on house 10. So habitat model. So I was involved with this early chapter of habitat, and the first family that we were working with was really hard to work with. And uh, they, it was just very hard to work with. And I sort of said to the, to the leader, you know what, uh, I've been on the board, I've been involved working on this, but I'm out after this because I, I just don't have time for this. And he reported me to uh, Millard Fuller, who was the founder, and at that time he, Millard Fuller was flying to all the house openings. And so Millard Fuller uh, looks me up and he says, so I understand you're going to quit. And well, yeah, I'm doing other things, and it's really hard, and I'm tired. And he goes, yeah. Uh, he says, yeah, guess what? The next one might be harder. So uh, that's just the way it's going to be, and we're looking for people who understand that and are going to move forward. Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not grow weary of doing good. And they're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Okay. So, do not grow weary of doing good. At the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So let me end by saying, the Christian faith does not make any sense if you're living for today. So if if you think that what you see is all there is, then following Christ does not make any sense. Loving and serving others, giving your money away, going to the end of the line, yeah, doesn't make any sense. If what you see is all you get, you do not want to be a part of following Christ. But if you believe, as I do, right, that Christ was God, he conquered death, and we're going to live forever, then you're a fool to invest your life for a return in this life. So this life is short, Eternity is not, and the opportunity to make a difference is now. It's today. The opportunity to sow that we can reap forever is now. And we have to live with that eternal mindset shaped by the gospel. I will end with this quote from C.S. Lewis out of Mere Christianity. He says, if you read history, you will discover that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, and the English evangelicals who worked to abolish the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. We are living today in light of eternity. (laughs) Serve. Help others. We've got an opportunity to make a difference in light of forever. Be shaped by the gospel from a position of humility. Love and serve other people. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the book of Galatians. We thank you for the insights. We thank you for for the clarion call to protect the gospel, the good news of of your son and what he has done. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did. We thank you for doing everything that needs to be done for our 
for our debt to be paid and for us to have eternal life. Help us to be those who from this platform of well-being, from this, from this vantage point of, uh, of, of having our eternal needs secured and the promises of glory that come, help us to invest the gifts, the time, the talents, the resources that you have given us uh, in your kingdom. Sharing the good news of Christ and loving and caring and serving other people, especially those who are pushed down by sin or by suffering in some way. Help us to be your hands and feet. To your glory we pray. Amen.